Section 26 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Hoffman. Criminal Investigation, a Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers, and Lawyers, Volume 3, by Hans Gross. Translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Cheating and Fraud. Continued. 4. Fraud Properly So Called. We will now speak of all those maneuvers practiced upon the actual body of the horse either to hide its defects or to give it points. They may, as a rule, be considered criminally fraudulent, except when they are only methods of embellishment which increase the beauty and, in consequence, the value of the animal in a manner which lasts, or which at least is easy to renew. And here again it is the whole manner in which the sale is carried out, the words pronounced, and the promises made, which will guide us in deciding whether there is real fraud within the meaning of the law. The definition of cheating in the Indian Penal Code may here be borne in mind. The code states that a person is said to do a thing fraudulently if he does that thing with intent to defraud. Further, dishonestly is defined as follows. Whoever does anything with the intention of causing wrongful gain to one person or wrongful loss to another person is said to do that thing dishonestly. And cheating, a word practically synonymous with the word fraud, not itself specifically defined, is defined as follows. Whoever by deceiving any person, fraudulently or dishonestly induces the person so deceived to deliver any property to any person, or to consent that any person shall retain any property, or intentionally induces the person so deceived to do or omit to do anything which he would not do or omit if he were not so deceived, and which act or omission causes or is likely to cause damage or harm to that person in body, mind, reputation, or property, is said to cheat. In some cases in which an action for deceit as a civil wrong will lie would not come within the definition, in that their mens rea is not absolutely necessary. But this work deals essentially with criminal matters, and we will not go far wrong by keeping to the above definition. In the following pages we shall discuss embellishments, as the dealer taken flagrante delictu is fond of calling them, which are known to the author. The examination, detection, and appreciation of these embellishments are naturally the business of the expert, but the investigating officer should be also cognizant of all the tricks of the horse dealer. A. Frauds relating to the age of the horse. The ordinary way of calculating the age of a horse is by its teeth, and for this, attention is paid to the marks, which are depressions in the surface of the incisors between the folds of the enamel. Depressions which during a certain period of the animal's life, are black, carbonized. This carbon is worn away by degrees, and when it disappears, the best and most valuable period of the horse's life is past. It is therefore not rare for horse dealers to rejuvenate old horses by artificial marks upon their teeth, burning them with a red-hot iron, or blackening with the help of sulfuric acid or some coloring matter. Inversely, a young colt, which is not yet old enough for work, is made older by a year by at the proper time extracting its first teeth, 
so that the buyer, instead of being prejudiced by the fact that the horse can do no work for a year and must be fed for nothing, knocks up the animal by making it work too soon. Nor is it rare for them to file a horse's teeth. With age, the gums always recede more and more towards the jaws and make the teeth look longer. Long teeth, old age, says a proverb, and this is an inconvenience which must be remedied by shortening the teeth. It is no doubt not easy to cut the teeth so as to make them correspond as before and conceal the fraud, but it is necessary for the horse market, especially when frequented by country people, that the teeth be shortened. The dealer also does his best to prevent the buyer thoroughly examining the mouth and teeth of the horse. To his end, he makes it foam by artificial means, e.g. by introducing some soap into its mouth. It is then impossible to see the teeth distinctly under the mass of foam. Another method is to make the horse nervous at the mouth. To this end, the mouth is submitted to all sorts of cruelties, so that on being touched it fears fresh sufferings and will not allow its teeth to be seen. The horse dealer is the more given to these tricks, as there are many people who ask nothing better than to have a horse quiet as a lamb, but fearful of its mouth. For on the one hand, when the animal will not allow its mouth to be touched, it is but a proof of its keenness, and on the other hand, the buyer is very satisfied that none of his acquaintances can look into his new horse's mouth to make discoveries disagreeable to him. This fraud regarding the age of the horse is usually accompanied with another regarding the salt cellars, or round pits above the eyes. These salt cellars become deeper and deeper with age, and when very deep, usually betray an advanced age. To remedy this defect, an incision is made in the salt cellar, air is blown in through a small tube, a suture is made, and the wound allowed to heal. This seems incredible, but the author has been informed of it on several occasions by a trained expert who has himself at least 20 vehicles on the road. He has assured the author that he has himself seen many horses on the market thus inflated. No doubt the effect of this trick can only last a few days. B. Fraud concerning the temperament of the horse. These kinds of frauds are closely connected with the foregoing, and have for their object to give an old, lazy, and slow animal a young, fresh, and alert appearance. Here before all comes what is called gypsy's fire. Every countryman knows how the horse brought to market by a gypsy is full of fire and spirit, but is the saddest and most miserable of beasts as soon as it finds itself in a new master's stable. The usual method employed by a gypsy is to thrash the horse in the most unmerciful manner, and then to mount in the saddle and gallop straight to the market. This bad treatment takes effect, and the unfortunate animal remains frightened for at least an hour and has a lively and alert appearance. They also give it large quantities of brandy, or better, a decoction of datura, which excites the sexual functions. The most played-out mare then begins to dance and prance. There is no doubt that the effects of this treatment are very grave. The saddle used by gypsies is different from other saddles. It carries inside, under the pads, fine sharp points, which, on being pressed by the knee, dig into the body of the horse. The gypsy never ceases to state that he needs neither spurs nor whip to animate the animal. But the substance which works the greatest miracle is ginger or pepper. Either the dealer himself, or by preference the stable boy, is always furnished with some ginger, or pepper, which he furtively introduces into his mouth, and chews. In India, a chili is commonly used for the same purpose. 
At the moment the horse is being presented, he takes a little of this paste, composed of ginger and saliva, upon the forefinger, and under the pretext of caressing the animal or lifting off its covering, he adroitly introduces it into the anus of the animal. The effect is superb. The sorry animal fills out, his depressed rump comes up, his laxness is transformed into keenness, his heaviness into lightness, and the most stupid of animals appears to be intelligent and wakeful. But more important than all, it holds up his tail. Now this is a primary condition for a horse to look well and lively. A good carriage of the tail makes an ordinary horse into a racehorse. It is to give this fine carriage that a horse's tail is cut or put under rollers. Operations which are easily dispensed with, at least to give the effect for a couple of hours, by the introduction of a little ginger into the anus. If the buyer complains that at the market the horse had a brilliant appearance, an elegant air, a noble step, and a lively temperament, and that now it has a miserable, used-up, common-looking, and spiritless aspect, all that needs to be done is to re-perform the operation of the ginger and the buyer will be amazed to see his horse again become like what it was at the market. But the employment of ginger may be recognized for the horse immediately after the operation makes constant efforts to dung, and its tail is agitated by a peculiar trembling. For people who are more easily taken in, the dealer even has a false tail in reserve which he joins to the crupper, the piece of leather which passes in a loop over the tail, with hard wax. In this way the horse not only has a beautiful tail, but also carries it well. This can only be done with cart and carriage horses. Is it fraud to accustom horses to eat antimony or arsenic? The question is a difficult one. It cannot be doubted that such drugs give the animals vivacity, vigor, and strong lungs. They make them lather at the mouth and produce an extraordinarily brilliant coat. Further, the skin stretches and fills out and they appear well-nourished and plump. But it is said that such horses are soon used up that they easily succumb to illnesses, that they are unaffected by medicine, and that they soon die when the arsenic is stopped. But is the individual who, by conviction, or for other reasons, feeds his horses on arsenic, absolutely forced to inform the buyer of the real cause of the fine qualities of the horse and how it ought to be treated? We are inclined to think that, in English law at least, the maxim caveat emptor would protect the dealer. The American practice of doping, or dowsing a horse just before a race, has been forbidden on the English turf. C. Faking the color. There are various reasons for coloring horses. Firstly, horse dealers try to render them unrecognizable even to their true owners. They attain this by rubbing the horse with a preparation of lead, a solution of lunar caustic, nitrate of silver, or pyrogallic acid. Horses with irregular coloring are given a uniform color. As a rule, people do not like horses with white feet, so the white part must be got rid of by artificial means. This artificial color does not last at longest more than six months, when the defect will reappear. In the same way, they try to hide up marks of use, i.e. light patches spread over various parts of the body. These patches are never indeed of much importance under the saddle. They are due to its frequent pressure and indicate that the horse has often been compelled to hard and awkward work. The same may be said of marks upon the chest and shoulders due to the pressure of the collar which proved the horse to have often been used for draught work. 
If fairly large white marks appear upon the sides, the cause must be looked for in the use of strong liniments employed for combating some illness of the chest, which makes it prudent to distrust the horse's respiratory organs. The artificial concealment of one of these marks of use gives the horse a much higher market value, especially if the mark indicates some real defect which can hardly be discovered in any other way. Finally, certain old horses of dark color have the misfortune to become flea-bitten, i.e. white hairs appear in their coats and give them an old appearance even from afar. It is said that these hairs have the peculiarity of taking on coloring matter better than other hair. It suffices to rub them over with soap, ether, or potash, and then to wash them with a decoction of ground walnut shell. They become black and undistinguishable from the others. If, for some reason or other, this operation cannot be performed and the animal, in spite of age, is still of some value, the hairs are pulled or cut out, one by one. The dealer sometimes even does not go to the trouble of using chemicals, the effect of which lasts but a few months, but watercolors are used. A retired cavalry officer informed the author some years back, when spotted horses were the rage, that a foreigner calling himself a Russian sold at a market in Poland a foreign hand of horses speckled in an extraordinarily regular way. But when next day they were washed down, they became whites and bays. If white marks, white stockings, etc., are produced artificially so that they remain, it cannot be regarded as deception. Rapid and regular casting of the coat is a certain indication of the health of a horse. When a horse does not cast its hair regularly, it is given strong doses of sulfur, antimony, salt, or juniper berries. This treatment makes the horse appear to be healthier than it really is, but its health is really worse than before. Artificial marks are also branded on horses with hot irons. As long as iron and fire exist, so long will we have horses of all breeds, say the initiated, and indeed it is astonishing to see with what faculty the most derelict jades are purchased simply because the dealer has imprinted on them with a hot iron the mark of a celebrated stud. Certain disagreeable marks, e.g. such as the marks on army horses and casters, unlucky marks, etc., are also said to be obliterated in this way, though we cannot explain how this operation is performed. It is also said that new marks are burnt alongside the first, and the whole branding is then passed off as that of some stable situated as far away as possible. D. Hiding defects. A good and healthy horse should have its mouth fresh, that is to say, moist and foamy under the bit. If it be not, recourse is had to soap, pepper, and especially to chewed tobacco substances which are skillfully inserted into the horse's mouth for a short time before it is shown off. If it is hard-mouthed, fragments of sharp glass are placed in the corners of the mouth in direct contact with the bit, and the horse obeys the slightest movement of the reins. If it has the villainous fault of crib-biting, its incisors are strongly hammered to make them painful, or a small piece of wood is thrust in between the teeth, rendering them so sensitive that the horse gives up the habit, for some time at least. If the horse be blind of one eye, without the eye being deformed, the defect may be hidden by the forelock of the horse, or by a false forelock affixed to the forehead. It is even said that artificial eyes are sometimes used. Hanging ears completely disfigure a horse. This defect must be remedied at all costs. 
So a frontlet is constructed in a special manner with rings of horsehair, which surround and keep up the ears. Or, again, an operation is performed, wounds being made up in the ears and allowed to cicatrize. The ears then stand up fairly well. No doubt the effect is not lasting, for the cicatrice yields under the weight of the ears and these hang down worse than before. It is even said that false ears are used. There exists, moreover, a very grave fraud sometimes committed with regard to stallions, one of whose testicles has not descended into the testicular pouch. Castration is then only partially possible, and an animal with only one testicle preserves all the qualities of a stallion. To hide this defect, a wound is made in that part of the testicular pouch, in which the testicle would have been if it had descended from the abdominal cavity in the proper way. The scar of the wound induces the belief that the horse is completely castrated. The masculine appearance of the animal is explained by pretending that it has been cut very late when its character was already developed. Such a horse, sold as a gelding, often causes great mischief, for its qualities as a stallion may make themselves manifest when they are not expected. Many examples are known of such stallions after remaining quiet for a fairly long time all at once breaking out on the approach of a mare in use. E. Concealment of Illnesses We have already said that horses are never presented at a time when the presentation would make the discovery of an illness easier than at other times. A broken-winded horse is not shown after it has eaten, and a horse which gets the staggers is never sent out in the sun. It remains now to speak of methods the aim of which is to conceal illnesses properly so called. Such concealments can hardly be practiced between one stable and another, for they pertain to latent defects of a nature to set aside the sale, so the stable would always be responsible. But they take place very frequently in horse marts, where one often picks up cheap a fine horse, plus a fine blemish. Among practices of this kind, the most frequent consists of masking paralysis of the thigh or hoof by means of the whip, spur, or curb. Especially on soft ground, sand or grasses, do these defects disappear, at least for long enough to affect the sale of a valueless horse at a high price. The still more dangerous practice is the anesthetizing of horses. On account of its complicated structure and the accidents to which it is exposed through the ground, work, foolish treatment, chewing, etc., the hoof of a horse is exposed to a host of painful maladies, often incurable though very slow in action, which in time render the beast unfit for all work. And this inability to work must not be attributed to deformation of the hoof, or its want of supporting power, but to the pain the animal feels each time it puts down its foot. Now as the hoof contains only nerves of sensation and not motor nerves, the nerves are cut above the fetlock joint and a portion entirely removed, so as to prevent reconnection of the extremities, and the disease seems cured, for the horse can walk as before. No doubt the cause of the pain continues, but the communication between it and the nerve centers being interrupted, the horse does not feel the pain and can use its hoof. But in a short time the disease makes such rapid progress that the horse is good for nothing in spite of the operation. This fraud may be detected by trying with a needle whether the horse is still sensible to pain in the foot, e.g. at the crown. If it cannot feel needle pricks, it is most certainly anesthetized. Often also, the horse's tongue is burnt. No one cares to buy a horse which lets his tongue hang out, for, without considering the ugliness, the habit nearly always indicates some illness of the lungs or brain. 
To prevent the animal from hanging out its tongue, the latter is burnt with a hot iron, and for some time afterwards the horse keeps its tongue in its mouth. A really dangerous fraud is when the nasal discharge of the horse is suppressed. This is often an indication of the gravest illness. Bad catarrh, the bastard strangles, the strangles, ulceration of the lungs, and even farsi and glanders are often accompanied with nasal discharges. Every outsider knows this and never buys a horse so afflicted, for if the discharge is not serious but merely some passing ailment, this particular time would not be chosen for selling the horse. To hide this malady, a bung of well-compressed cotton wool is taken and thrust as far up the nostril as possible to prevent the nose from running. No doubt this can only be effective during a short time, and if the discharge comes from one nostril only, for a horse breathes only by the nose and not by the mouth, and if both nostrils were corked, the horse would be suffocated. When we consider how dangerous these illnesses are, and also how contagious, e.g. farsi, we must agree that this fraud is all the more grave in that the illness thus concealed may infect and destroy numberless other horses. Farsi is also contracted by men, especially when, in ignorance of the illness, they do not take necessary precautions in approaching the horse. If the glanders, the strangles, etc., are dangerous by reason of the ease with which they spread, the staggers is dangerous in that the animal afflicted with this complaint may, during an attack, wound and damage everything around it, especially when one has no knowledge of the illness and for that reason has taken no precautions. Horses which get the staggers are particularly unsensitive in those places where horses cannot bear to be touched. Healthy horses make a nervous movement when a finger is placed in their ear and draw back the foot when touched upon the coronet, just above the hoof. Horses which get the staggers remain, on the contrary, perfectly still. As these methods are as well known as the danger of the staggers itself, no one neglects before buying a horse to introduce the finger into its ear and tread upon the coronet of its hoof. But when the sensibility is absent, it is artificially produced by rubbing the ears with a very strong ointment. No doubt this rubbing only renders sensitive the pavilion of the ear, but the animal will not allow it to be touched, and the desired end is obtained. To render the coronet sensitive, the dealer has in the back part of the sole of his boot a needle or pointed nail with which he himself verifies the sensibility of the horse's hoof, to prevent the buyer taking this trouble. The horse may very well be subject to the staggers, but its hoof is not sufficiently insensible not to feel the point of the needle. It will certainly draw back the foot, and the purchaser will rest easy. End of section 26. Recording by Philip Hoffman.